Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, co-founders, executives, uh, musicians, artists, you name it, all around the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, I have an amazing guest, and um, I'm going to start off the bat by telling you that I failed to ask how I pronounce his company. His name is Tyler Adams. He's a CEO, but I don't know if it's, it's COZ or COZ, and I'm going to ask Tyler to tell me and then ask Tyler um, to ask everybody to welcome Tyler to the show today. Sure. So it's actually both. Um, it's an acronym from our original organization's name. Um, so some people call us COZ, um, like the people that have known us for a long time. Um, but a lot of people now refer to us as cause as well. Um, so we kind of go by either one. Um, I call it COZ, but that's because I'm familiar with the acronym. I view it as an acronym. So thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And we're going to get into that. <laughs> the first question is going to be, um, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Sure. So um, my my academic background is in uh, mechanical engineering and systems engineering, um, specifically like controls and robotics and statistical process control um, and modeling. Um, you know, I'm pretty heavily in the systems camp. I do a lot of statistical analysis, a lot of kind of hardware development, a lot of planning and architecture development um, across the entire engineering space. Um, you know, I've been working in blockchain since um, well, full-time since around 2017, um, doing pretty much everything from core like layer one protocol development and statistical analysis and modeling um, all the way up to like end user product development and live activations um, for these like large blockchain organizations. Um, and that's with the uh, kind of the greater COZ team. Awesome. So pretty relevant, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It sounds it. <laughs> it sounds engineering is good. It's tough. Um, COZ, what is that all about? What does it stand for? And how are you positioned to become a competitive player during the next NF uh, NFT growth wave? Sure. So we, um, COZ uh, originally, as I mentioned, it's an acronym. So it stands for City of Zion. Um, a lot of people in the, the community that is familiar with us would remember us from the, the original kind of ant shares to NEO um, legacy rebrand initiative when NEO kind of took took prominence as a top five by market cap um, layer one protocol around 2017, 2018 timeframe. Um, so that's where we started and we, we began doing documentation actually. Um, and then we, we also started doing product development, um, things like smart contract compilers, software development kits, wallets, explorers, as I mentioned, protocol analysis and evaluation. Um, some of our, our team members have split off and built, um, decentralized exchanges or identity solutions, um, which is kind of where, where I went for a period of time, um, We've also really been pushing for the past few years on building out the N3 platform, which is NEO's new layer one offering. 
um, and all the tools and infrastructure there. Um, and then we've also been really focused over the last couple of years as well on the, the end user product experience. So how do people who aren't familiar with blockchain um, getting into this space, how do they interact with the technology, which is relatively complicated? How do we remove a lot of those barriers to entry? Um, within the NFT uh, market specifically, um, we've been working on a kind of a, a tangential technology to NFTs called NFIs or non-fungible items. Um, and these are cryptographically authentic physical assets um, that are counterfeit proof. And they are bound to what we're calling a digital twin on the blockchain. Um, so people can write software which interacts with physical assets, um, like your, your hat or your shirt, or you know if you have jewelry. So we've done a number of activations this year with rings called one band rings, um, where people can get the rings and they can go through a conference and they can interact um, with different applications. Um, all on chain. Um, so that's, that's kind of the area that we've been working in. Um, when we, we talk about like this, this idea of engaging people who aren't in the blockchain ecosystem, that's kind of the, an example of what I'm talking about, you know, pulling in, um, stuff that people interact with every day. They don't necessarily need to know it's blockchain, but the, the interactivity is they're really using these, this technology as a tool. Awesome. So I have a follow-up. Um, NFIs, right? Last, I say last in the last year, you know, two years ago, the my podcasts were all about the NFT hype. And I would say hype. Content creators are happy to be making money for the first time. That's great. I loved it. You can see the energy and the excitement. Over the past year, a lot of the talk has been about moving people from Web 2 to Web 3. And now recently... It's, okay, how do we attach blockchain and crypto to real-world real world assets? So with these NFIs, what are you seeing, um, you know, have been the the, the, the primary drivers of this the shift to one and to, to, to attach to real-world assets? Sure. So there, there are a couple really big areas of interest here. Um, the, the logical one, I think, is the, the counterfeit proof value proposition of, you know, these, these fungible or non-fungible tokens, which are on chain, right? So that's one of the value propositions of NFTs, right? They're counterfeit proof, they're original, you can prove ownership, and you can prove authenticity. Um, when we talk about these large, um, kind of very high dolly, dollar value items, like um, artwork, or these like luxury lifestyle goods or collectibles, um, that authenticity and being able to prove um, ownership and the provenance of that those assets is kind of key. Um, so that's one of the major drivers for this technology. Um, but there are a few others as well. Um, one of them is in gamification. So we talk a lot about um, the metaverse, right? And this concept of the metaverse, especially when it how it, NFTs fit into that experience. Um, but there's a, a really large market for people um, with interactivity of physical assets as well. Um, people like gamification in, in marketing 
operations, for example, or strategies, right? Um, you can imagine um, like a loyalty rewards program where you have a physical asset and the rewards are actually tied to the physical asset instead of your account. Um, so you have maybe a, a collectible backpack, for example, or jacket or something. Um, and that jacket entitles you to special privileges when you go to a sports event, for example. Like maybe you have, or maybe you have like a, a team ring, for example, um, for football, right? And when you bring that ring, the ring acts as your ticket into the stadium. And as you use the ring, it actually improves your, your um, discounts and rewards over time. And if you sell that ring, the ring's rewards actually go with it. And the value proposition goes with that ring as well. Um, so the, the gamification is kind of important. I know I went off in a bit of a marketing tangent there, but that is a, that is a very big driver for a lot of this technology as well. It's really grabbing um, consumer um, loyalty and kind of rewarding them for that. It's also, there's a big um, driver as well for people to increase the value of their, their products. Um, I kind of alluded to this idea that, or mentioned this idea that um, the assets themselves retain this, these capabilities um, or this ledger of information. It's kind of the provenance to some extent um, that changes the value curve of the physical assets. So a lot of things like you buy, you buy a jacket, for example, as soon as you, you check out that jacket starts decreasing in value, right? Um, this technology has the opportunity to change that value curve um, so that the jacket actually increases in value over time, similar to a lot of these luxury lifestyle brands and the way that they've positioned their products, because you can get um, things, the utility of the jacket would act, can actually increase over time um, through the software. So, so that's another really big value proposition that is being, um, that's kind of demanding this technology as well. Um, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the areas that we're, we're interested in and we've been pushing, um, for, and we've been kind of being, we've actually been pulled as well. Um, and it's, it's been kind of fun. It's been a really interesting market. A lot of it, as you mentioned, it's pretty new. So we're, we're still kind of exploring and identifying what those, like where the technology can kind of change what we're, how we interact with things on an everyday basis. Awesome. Actually value to me, you know, it's funny because I have like some really nice winter jackets that my wife bought me. And then I have this thing that I bought from TJ Maxx. It's cost like $19 and I can wear it when it's minus 40 and I can wear it when it's 50 degrees and it works all year long. And it's like the most utility I think thing I own, <laughs> but, um, you know, but, uh, let's, let's talk about, you know, you're in, you're in Colorado and, um, there's something there. And I want you to please, I ask you to please talk about it. Um, Denver walls, right. Um, what's that all about and what's your, your role in its production? Sure. So, uh, so COZ was the tech partner for this, uh, this Denver walls festival. And it's, it's part of the worldwide walls, um, kind of initiative or organization. It's, this was the first year that it was in Denver. Um, it's also in a number of other cities, um, like I think LA, Tokyo, for example, um, like these large cities. And it's a, 
it's a mural festival. So muralists from all over the world fly fly to the city, in this case, Denver, um, to paint these, these absolutely amazing murals. Some of them are like one of them was like a 1600 square foot um, parking garage, for example, and it's the floor of the parking garage. Or another one was from this muralist, um, Nichos from Vienna, who flew out and he painted a 50 foot tall mural um, on the Mission Ballroom, which is kind of a historic, it's a historic ballroom um, and concert venue in the River North District. So these 20, uh, sorry, these these artists all flew out um, to Denver to paint these murals over the period of a week. And then the, there's kind of an ongoing festival around the like public arts um, in Denver as a result. And for COZ, we were the tech partners. Um, so we embedded this NFI technology in a, bronze, in a bunch of bronze plaques um, that are attached to the murals. Um, and then people can go around to all the murals and they can collect them in, as I was mentioning, kind of this, this augmented reality, like kind of value proposition experience where they can go around and collect unique signatures from each mural. And then um, in the near future, they'll be able to redeem those at local vendors um, for discounts. Um, so I kind of mentioned this marketing loyalty kind of rewards program. Um, in this case, that's a little augmented. The goal is to um, really drive community growth and engagement um, within the River North District in Denver. Um, so people can go around, they collect all the murals and interact with it and learn about the artists. And then they can burn the signatures of those murals on chain um, to redeem um, discounts. So it's a completely decentralized app um, and experience. Um, and it's really, it's effectively peer to peer. You have the muralists and then you have the vendors in town. Awesome. And what was the, what was the ex excitement and engagement level like? It's pretty good. Um, we had, I don't have the, the final numbers for the event. Um, it's, it, it was easily a few thousand people at this specific event on the festival day. Um, but most of these murals are, have permanent licenses. Um, so they will be up indefinitely. The plaques are, they're still there. Um, and they'll be there in some cases for probably the next five to 10 years. Um, and they can continue to be reused in this way. So, it's kind of a, it's an interesting proof point for the technology. Um, and it's an area that we're, we're really motivated to, to grow. We're big fans of public works um, and public art scene is really amazing. And working with some of these artists um, who are really the best, the, the best muralists on earth was really amazing. It was a great opportunity. I ask about the excitement and engagement because the NFT industry um has seen better days than in this past year, right? Um, you see a lot of valuations for these JPEGs or, you know, the, the board apes or the, um, you know, the crypto punks or whatever, the value gone down, right? What is the future of the NFT industry? Because what you're seeing, you're seeing excitement at the community level, yet their engagement on the, on the level of you know crypto industry has been down so that seems like a bit like a mech, like like a what do you call it opposite points of view so what do you see as the future of the industry for nfts um sure so i don't 
I agree. I think the market, it, you know, the market's down um, from the collectability perspective. I think the NFTs are going through um, what feels a lot like the 2018, 2019 token, like fungible token situ experience. Um, it feels very similar where there was this novel concept that showed up and um, a lot of tokens showed up um, as a result of that, right? Um, both in the 2017, 2018 time period as well as um, with NFTs now, right? Um, and in that experience, there was a lot of searching for utility and true value, like intrinsic value in it. Um, and I think that while the market is kind of coming down or is down right now, or it's kind of deflated, I guess, a little bit, I think that what's going to come out of it is um, true utility. And then just like with the fungible tokens, now there are fungible tokens. They just, they have utility. There's like a core value proposition. The tokens from 2017 that had a utility and proved their value stuck around and new tokens are showing up, which have utility. People perceive the tokens as being something um, that has to have a purpose, right? And I think that as those utilities show up for NFTs, the market will build back up. Um, we're just, we're kind of in the, we're in this phase where we had this new, this like novel concept. People have been building it and trying to understand it and play with it and learn how to use it properly to fit into their business models. Um, and in that experience, some of these concepts don't work out very well. Um, so there was this inflationary or this bubble type of situation, and now that's deflating a little bit. But I think a lot of the core utility um is showing up like there is value from people playing with the technology. Um, so I think in the next, just like with the fungible tokens in the next five years, that's going to come back, but everything that comes back will have this core intrinsic value to it. Um, it's certainly also interesting. The, a lot of the recent like developments with the, with AI showing up in parallel to the NFT market has certainly not helped that. I think, um, we've, we've used that technology a little bit in-house as well. Um, when we talk about some of our activations, um, and it, it certainly it's benefited us from an art direction standpoint. I think we, from an NFT, when we talk about NFT specifically, um, the value of having like the, the real artist developing this stuff is kind of interesting also, um, like we we try to to push and engage with artists as much as possible to do the the original art for any um, any visual assets that we use for NFTs, um, and we try to put like their signature on it and things like that, just to to increase the value proposition um, of them. But yeah, I, I think it's gonna it'll come back. It's just it's that searching for utility. So. Okay, so you liken these similarities. I mean, between the, the 2017-18 ICOs and the NFTs, but and I can see that too. But you see the similarities now with AI and those two. Um, not so much with with AI. I think it's interesting that there were 
a lot of advances, especially with products like Midjourney, for example, where NFTs were were showing up, um, and this these products showed up, which really made it um, made it even easier, I think, to 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 mint and generate these tokens. Um, that it probably acted as an accelerant in the market. Right, because it made it, it you know, when we talk about a fungible token, um, fungible tokens are much simpler in in a few ways than a, a non fungible token. Um, the when we start talking about a, a non fungible token, it, especially the way that um, most people would probably perceive them, right? There is an image that's a requirement it, it, in a lot of people's perspective and how they would define an NFT. Um, the ability to produce those at a large scale uh, makes them kind of helps to saturate the market, I guess. Like it, they became something where, um, where they would have historically been more difficult or more labor intensive to produce. Now they're much easier to produce. Um, so they've kind of acted as an accelerant to like flood the market and overinflate it which ultimately kind of leads to a deflating as well. Um, so I don't know that it's, I don't know that the AI drive is going to be similar, although it probably will be. I just, this is kind of a common trend in technology, right? I think the AI technology, the AI technology, which has shown up in combination with NFTs kind of pushed the market past where it probably should have been. Yeah, how do the how do the crypto and tech industries facilitate the merge of physical and digital worlds? Um, so I think the the one of the intrinsic value propositions of um, blockchain is that it's it's sovereign, right? Um, so it's self sovereign, and in a lot of cases, physical assets are also right. You can have custodial. Um, physical assets where you have like a, a vault or something like that, which is held at an organ within an organization, you have to get approval to get access, right? On like a safety deposit box, for example. So that would be a custodial physical asset storage. Um, but inherently like physical assets are, are self-sovereign or they're non-custodial. Like you have your glasses, which you're wearing, right? Um, those are your glasses. You have sovereign access and control of those glasses. Um, blockchain in a lot of cases, at least for permissionless blockchains is the same way, right? It's a sovereign permissionless solution. Um, because of that, I think the technology pairs really well with physical assets. Um, there've been major pushes within the, what I would, I guess, call the traditional tech world um, to add um, or implement this concept of a digital twin. Um, the, and what I mean by that is a, a having a digital analog to a, a physical asset. Um, and this helps a lot with advanced engineering, um, especially hardware engineering, where you can run modeling, you can do simulations of the technology, um, or a physical asset. You can see how they would perform in different conditions and environments. Um, the, the blockchain space, what it's providing on top of that is the, the provenance capabilities, right? Which blockchain is very good at when you execute a transfer, 
that goes onto the ledger. Everybody can see that. It can be asserted. You can assert your authenticity. You can assert your ownership. Um, I think what we're what we're really trying to work on is trying to merge those two concepts together um, as they both um, kind of approach each other, whether um, really whether we're here or not, it's kind of an inevitability in my opinion. Um, a lot of these physical assets, as I mentioned, like this digital twin technology is being pushed very hard um, because it's ultimately required um, by a, a lot of these organizations to even exist. Um, the, the technology that is being released now for like a phone, for example, or an airplane or an automotive, um, it's, it's so optimized for its environment that you have to run these simulations. You have to have a very advanced um, software model in order to ensure that it can perform. Um, integrating that with the blockchain capabilities gives you a lot of interesting data from a metaverse perspective um, that I think is going to show up probably in the next, when we talk about like fungible tokens and the utilities and the utility and things like that in the near future, right? Where you would actually have access to maybe a digital twin of an automotive, which you own. Um, and you can prove that you own it through this NFI technology, right? Um, so I think that's, that's how the two spaces are kind of helping each other and they're they're driving towards this this integration i think it's it's an inevitability it's just when when that will happen if it happens you know in the next five years if it happens in the next 10 years um it's definitely in the near future though got it um i want to get into the concept of the digital twin and the the metaverse um I don't know if you remember the uh, if you watched the the Super Bowl between the Rams and the and the Bengals, but um, two years ago. But that year we had during you know everybody else is focused on what the halftime show was, what the game was, and I was like, we just witnessed thirteen metaverse commercials, but I'm like the only person who picked up on it, like in the room, you know. Um, and the digital twin, you know, it's kind of like the princess and the frog right now. But, uh, you know, how, how can NFTs, while NFTs enhance local experiences and benefit communities, what will the role of the metaverse be in life experiences? And I'm assuming that's not going to just going to be at the community or local level. It's going to be global. Yeah, so we um, and this will be more from the context of NFIs, although the the value proposition in the, the that area is kind of similar, right? With a slight twist on it. Um, I think what's what's going to be really interesting is as we see these products kind of proliferate into the market um, and become more commonplace is the idea of crosstalk between different experiences. Um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, this concept of having a jacket, right? Where... You have this jacket and it has this, it has a digital twin. It's this, has this NFI technology embedded in it. Um, and maybe the, the company that has the jacket or that produced the jacket, they are sponsoring some event where you, if you go and you collect 
Um, and I'll use a Colorado example here. Um, maybe if you take a photo of yourself wearing that jacket on every 14er in Colorado, um, you get a discount at their store, right? And you also get like, you know, you get a merit badge that proves it, that you climbed it. It's recorded to the digital twin that you've done it, but you also get a badge, right, on the jacket so you can show show off. Like it, it improves the value of the jacket, right? Um, in addition to that, in parallel, there may be a metaverse game which also uses the same jacket and it uses the same data because again, this is all, it's on a permissionless chain. Um, it's sovereign data. It's associated with the jacket itself and you're the owner. So you could also grant access to that data, that activity to another app, which is maybe an alternate reality app. And I like to use the example of like going to Vegas to fight dragons instead of just playing cards. Right. So maybe you go to Vegas and you're wearing this jacket. And because you got this jacket has gone to every 14er, it's this very rare thing. It gives you a stat boost for your, your character when you go to fight a dragon in Vegas, for example. Um, and then maybe somebody else has another asset. Maybe they have a watch, for example. And that watch, it's been to, you know, maybe five or six different film festivals, right? And maybe that watch gives you other perks in that same game. And that watch has, you know, it has its brand recognition and, um, and experience associated with it as well. Um, but it gives you other value propositions in the same game, right? In another metaverse game, those same two assets may have a different value proposition as well. Uh, and I think this, this concept, um, you know, I'm using the example of physical assets here, NFIs, but this also exists for NFTs as well, right? So this crosstalk between the NFTs um, within experiences is kind of where, where I see that, that kind of almost being required for it to take off. I think it's, it's, um, although I'm also, when I, I think of NFIs or physical assets, you can, you're kind of limited to space. There's like a, I have to wear this stuff or I have to have access to these physical assets. They take up room, <laughs> right? Uh, when we talk about digital tokens, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so there's a little more flexibility there. Um, you know, you can have a wallet with a million tokens in it, for example, and they can all be, um, they can have individual value propositions. But I think the, the, inherent, like the intrinsic value of the individual tokens will probably increase as interoperability starts to show up. And I think that's where a lot of the metaverse, um, the meta, like kind of the idea of the metaverse is as well, right? You have this, this archetype that can be used within a bunch of different ecosystems. Um, and that's something that I, I kind of feel like is being missed heavily right now. Um, if I'm being honest, within the the NFT kind of space or this this um, metaverse experience, um, is the interoperability. Yeah, yeah, interoperability. Um, I think that's that's kind of important. Although I also, as I mentioned, from an NFI perspective, um, that's there's much more 
um, value on that because you're not walking around with, you know, a million like coins in your pocket, <laughs> for example, or jackets on, um, no matter how cold it gets, you're not going to be wearing all of these things on you. So my perspective may be somewhat biased there. Um, how about what's the future for NFTs for uh, institutions look like? Is that the same thing or is it going to be different for them to be able to move forward and build that into their operations? Um, institutions are, are always harder. They're easier and they're harder. Um, I think when we talk about like an internal internal adoption for internal tools is one thing that's much faster, um, right? You can have an, an internal team which builds out their their solution for this um, within their their closed ecosystem, right? It's a very controlled environment. They have complete control over the technology um, that that's a lot easier when we start talking about a global like a global fabric for this effectively like a public like blockchain implementation that is used by institutions that um and having this nft infrastructure over the top um that's much harder right because you're you're inherently asking these organizations to give up some level of control um, when they don't necessarily have to do that. So the value proposition um, for the technology um, needs to be very, very extreme, right? Um, the Because they can't necessarily reset, right? And they're also putting their reputation on the line if it's, if it's broken, it's irreversible, it's there on public ledger for a very long time time right indefinitely really um so so that's much more complicated um i actually i'm uh generally a big proponent of the idea of having a like a hybrid solution where you have a like basically a, an internal ledger um at a, an institution at an institutional le level and then there's some integration or interoperability between those private ledgers um, or like private layer two solutions or side chains, if you want to call them that, um, you know, or as an alternative and then some public ledger, which they interface with. So similar to the way that the, the internet is built, right. And designed in the way that we interface with that. So most organizations or institutions, they have a private intranet and then they connect and communicate with the internet. Um, I, I imagine that would probably be the same, the same approach for some sort of NFT or tokenized adoption as well. Um, I just, I think it's, it's a very big risk for an organization to fully expose their, um, and give up control, um, to, by moving or deciding to move into a public ledger. I think it makes sense when we talk about like the public sector, but even then that's also a big risk, um, as well. Um, so the, the value proposition is really pretty critical um, to nail down and get right. Otherwise, there won't be any adoption. Um, even when there's adoption, it's going to take a very long time <laughs> if there is public adoption. Um, I do know there, there are some inroads into that. Um, there are a lot of organizations that are investigating it. 
Um, in most cases, it's um, at a private level, though, it'd be a, kind of an intranet type of integration with a miner. It, as I mentioned, from an architecture perspective, you have these private ledgers, um, and then you have a public ledger, which they interface with. So similar to this internet architecture. I wonder if that's how JP Morgan does it with their with their lounge in Decentraland or or Morgan Stanley does it with their stake in uh in Polygon. But they're using it for private purposes. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, possible. I think that when I let me let me clarify here. When I meant when I mentioned the like the institutional adoption and integration, what I mean is like at a uh like a core, a core integration level, right? Where they are using that for day-to-day -day purposes within their organization when they're using it as a, a major like area within their within their value proposition. Um, I think a lot of the the integrations we're seeing now, and and there are a lot of like Macy's had an NFT, for example, right? Um, at the parade. Like there's a lot of playing with the concept of NFTs and tokenization by these large organizations, but this kind of this ingrainment of the technology is like a core part of their offering is the part that takes is going to take a long time. I think right now there are a lot of organizations that are are playing with the technology as we as we were talking about earlier. Um, they're kind of exploring. They want to get their foot in the door. They want to taste taste the technology, they want to try it out and see if it works for them, and just so they can really understand what it is. Um, and also um, communicate to, to their audience and their market that they are aware of the technology and they are working with it um, to understand it better. Um, you know, I think that's really what we're seeing right now with a lot of these big players. Um, they're, they want to to engage with the technology to show that they are a player in the market, but they're not really biting off a large chunk of it. Um, and they're not really willing to fully integrate it yet or adopt it yet because there is a big risk associated with it. Um, as I mentioned, it's, it's relatively novel, right? Yeah. So I have two last questions. One I just came up with because I think it's important. Uh, there are a series of articles in smaller publications across the United States that say, or the, or the author has said, NFTs are dead. Obviously, after speaking to you, they're not. What would be your advice to, to, to the, for these journalists um, going forward who think the NFTs are dead? What should they? What do they need to know? Um, that's that's top of the mind. That to say, that, hey, hey, they're very uh, much alive and well. Um, so I think in, in talking to, to a number of journalists over the years, it's, it's a hard job to cover so many topics, um, thoroughly and in depth, right? That's, that's an insane amount of work. Um, I, to me, I think it would be important for them to probably dig a little deeper, um, and kind of look look at the forest instead of the like the individual trees i think maybe there's a kind of an optics issue there right so the you know i i don't i certainly don't think it's dead 
Um, I think quite the opposite. I think it's, there's this idea that the technology, because it's kind of taking a downturn and there are like, there's a search for utility in the technology, just because there's a search for the utility and there's an exploration of like this novel technology doesn't mean that there isn't core utility that's kind of, that's there. Um, the, when I look at like the overall technology, like NFTs or something that like at a core, like intrinsic value proposition perspective have existed for a long time. Like we use tools like this all the time off chain. Um, it's, it's just finding like, and building that technology in a permissionless um, immutable ledger that's people are trying to understand. I, I just, I don't think the, yeah, I, I don't think they're dead. I think, I think it's just, it's, it's digging deeper than, you know, reading somebody else's headline or looking at the overall market trends or looking at the price and making that decision. It's, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's, it's poor, poor investigation, but, um, it, it generally feels that way. And that's kind of my perspective when people make a statement like that, right? It's kind of that only a Sith speaks in absolutes. Right. I agree. This has been a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed speaking with you. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel better about NFTs in the future than I did when I first started this interview. So this is great. Thank you. <laughs> I have one final question and it is, um, it's an easy one. How can people find out more information about you, about COZ, about what you do, about what you're up to? How can they do any of that? Sure. So um, you can follow me, or actually it's probably easier to follow COZ underscore official on Twitter um, or at COZ.io for more information about our organization. Um, for the physical assets and the NFI work um, and technology that we're building out. We've actually just spun off a, a subsidiary called item.systems, um, which also has um, a website, item.systems. And that's where a lot of the work that we spoke about is listed, um, including the Denver Walls um, consensus and token 2049 work. So thanks for having me on. It was a lot right. of fun. Thank you very much for your time today.